Hello and welcome to Motive Insights, the Motive Partners podcast where we live and breathe the next generation of financial technology. Hi, welcome back to the Motive Insights podcast. And today we've got a pretty unique podcast, not the sort of podcast we've done before in terms of themes. Recently, you heard from Charlie Kerr, the founder and CEO of With Intelligence, one of our more recent portfolio companies. And then in September, you heard us talk to our most recent industry partner, the sage of software, Heather Bellini. Today, it's a different flavor. Today, we're talking about a very unique strategic partnership that we've formed with ABN AMRO. And I'm going to introduce shortly two people who can talk about it far better than I can. Edwin Van Bommel, the Chief Strategy and Innovation Officer at ABN AMRO, and our very own Ramin Niramand, who's Head of Motive Ventures at Motive. So what have we done? Well, recently, and you may have seen it in the news, we formed a new strategic partnership really based on two pillars. On the first side, Motive Ventures assumed the management of 15 portfolio companies. And to support with that work, we welcome two superstars to our team, Hugo Bongas and Tim Wanders. Secondly, ABN AMRO and Motive have formed an investment partnership where ABN AMRO will become an investor in Motive Managed Vehicles. There's so much we can do together. And really, the reason I'm most excited about this, and I think Ramin's going to talk about this a lot more, is what we can do together. Combining forces, heightening our industry intimacy, and really going after a much larger innovation prize together, bringing our expertise under one roof. I'm not going to do any more because I won't do it justice. I'm going to hand over to my colleague and friend, Ramin. Over to you. Thank you, Sam. And thanks for the introduction. Thanks for having us, Edwin and myself, on this Motive Insight podcast. Really excited to welcome Edwin. Hi. Good to be here. It's a great pleasure to be today the host, to ask the questions, but I'm sure we will keep it interactive and open. So let us start a little bit speaking about the genesis of this collaboration. So as we both know, this cooperation did not come out of the blue, as some people thought so when they read the news, surprisingly. But it's not the first time for us to work together. And maybe you can give some insights on how we have partnered before in our respective roles and with our respective institution what's really the essence of this partnership and how, where does it came from? Well, the whole fintech world, especially also in Europe, is quite a small world, right? So we always have been in the last, what is it, five plus years, a very active investor and so were you. So there were quite a few deals where we bumped into each other. Some deals happened, other deals didn't happen. And on the deals where actually we collaborated, we had a very good sense of how we could collaborate and actually had a very good rapport also among the people who were working with each other more on a day-to-day basis, closing these deals. So I think that sort of was the, was the starting point. And then at one moment when we were thinking more about the future of not so much ABN Armor Ventures, but more like how can we leverage fintech even more and in that context, what is a role of ABN Amor Ventures? We also thought there might be for us a way to even become better at this at this whole game and to have even more impact with fintech by partnering up. And we then did a market scan. And obviously, because of the good experiences we had so far with you, you were you were on the list. And I think what really struck us, although it was not all surprising, was actually a couple of things. First of all, that you really have a very strategic vision on where the industry was going. And that 
the strategic vision was a great basis for a partnership. And then secondly, also that you were on your side, as well as we were on our side, looking for a bit more than a financial deal, but really with strategic collaboration, with helping each other, with making the industry better. And that's what we were looking for. It was for us, therefore, not an outsourcing deal. For us, it was more how can we get better in implementing fintech, understanding what's going on to further accelerate and improve the services to our clients on a day-to-day basis. And that's what we really found also in you. And and it was very consistent with how we experienced uh, Motive so far also. And then more on a content level, when we were debating on the role of fintech and how actually the industry works, but also where we see the industry heading, I, I think there were enough hooks to really say, well, this can really be a fruitful relationship for both of us, to be frank. So this was also not something which happened overnight. This process actually took to quite a quite a while and therefore also it gave us at least, but I'm very curious also about how you see it, a very good feeling about that this was not just a financial deal, but a true partnership and that there was sufficient ground actually to be very successful in this. Yeah, I think I can echo that the base for any good relationship is to getting to know each other. And that's the benefit of a process which takes some time, but also that we know each other since a long time. And as we like to call it, that Motive industry intimacy is exactly what we need. You were looking for something which we at Motive look for as well. We, we really need partners to succeed because we want to make our portfolio companies super successful. And we try to leverage in all different ways with our industry partners who work daily on our platform, our senior leadership who are most of them are operators, having fought many battles beforehand with really in the industry with their own hands. And I think that makes Motive unique and it couldn't work without great partners. And we're really happy to have you now on board. And that was also the feedback through and through from our portfolio companies. They were happy to have a European financial leader like yourself and maybe an Ambro really now at, at short distance. And I'm really happy actually of our kickoff. You joined the AGM in New York. There was a portfolio day for Motive Ventures in Berlin where many AB number people joined and so on and so forth. So I think we started also with a great velocity into this deal. Yep. So I know it's still the beginning. We started working. And in what ways do you see you can short-term, mid-term leverage the Motive partnership the best? And can you think already of tangible examples we can share at that stage? I think the list is is endless, right? So, I mean, I think the whole financial industry and also fintech, it's, it's certainly not boring in this day and age, right? There's so many things moving. I think client preferences are really changing very fast, right? Not only by new entrants, but also by experiences they have in other areas as well. You see a lot of regulations changing as well, which creates new opportunities and forces us all to, to change. Recently, also Gen AI, right? So there's many, many, many things which are really changing very fast. Now, before I go into the areas, what I already have seen just exchanging views is already very helpful. But obviously, we cannot exchange until eternity and further do nothing. Yeah. But already just exchanging our views, I think for us, but also for you, is uh, has been so far already very fruitful. And then I think in general, what in the end, you really start to have the benefits of the partnership if we jointly also deploy activity. And activity can be that we implement one or more of the fintechs in portfolio. And uh, I think so far we have quite a good track record on doing that. I think we were the first bank, for instance, implementing Tink. 
but also we are now currently one of the leaders in tokenized assets. We we were the first who was doing tokenized bonds on the public blockchain, etc. So I think we have quite a good track record in working with young companies to do something for our clients, to have a new service, a better service for our clients. And the other thing is also scanning together the market and sort of brainstorm a bit, okay, what are great investments as well? And also there, knowing your team now, both the people who actually went from AB number to you, but also you and, and, and colleagues already are motive for a longer time. I also dare see a, a lot of benefit. Now, based on the meetings you just said and a couple of other meetings we had, I think there are a couple of areas which are very logical. I think one of the most obvious one is to join forces on, on wealth, right? I mean, you have a fantastic track record in wealth and impressive vision. I think also we have a very good view on where wealth is going. We're the number one wealth bank in the Netherlands. We are leading with Batman in Germany. We're leading with Neuflis in France. So this is a very, very logical area. Also because there, the newer generations of clients have truly different demands than the older generations, right? So there is also a fruitful client base to develop new services for and, and actually to have even better services uh, for them. Another area, and then I'll stop after two because otherwise uh, uh, we can I can go on. Yeah. But another area is, is, is I think, also sustainability. I think sustainability is, is, is very, very critical, not only for the world and, and, and the planet, but there's a lot ahead also there for our clients who need to transition a lot. We as institutions, uh, financial institutions, need to transition a lot. I strongly believe there as well that if we want to accomplish the transition within Europe, there needs to be a combination of private money and bank money and probably also some public money. And that all need to be put at work to really come up with the solutions which we need to meet uh, all, all the targets related to ESG. Just to give you two, uh, two examples. I think that's a uh, great examples and um, both areas, wealth as sustainability, are great fields to collaborate. And um, for anyone who follows motives knows that it's obviously a big field of, of interest, um, yet alone when you look at the investments we have in our growth and buyout portfolio with InvestCloud, FNZ, Backbase. Actually, Backbase is from Amsterdam around the corner. <laughs> it is actually. So there, there are many, many natural adoption points. A very small example for the people who won't know. Actually, Motor Ventures is invested in a company called Bunch Capital, which is a fund admin platform. And now ABN becomes a double user through the LP investment and uh, the Motor Venture funds, but also for the management of Motor Ventures and AAV funds. And there was a natural collaboration almost because you just became user of a new generation fund admin tool. Your head of funds saw about it, used it. Now they had another talk been happening and there's actually discussions going on and how to, to leverage these kind of startups. And these national interaction points needs to develop to then ultimate benefit both organizations. So very excited to see this falling out, but also, and I think that you see also your, your expertise and I think uh, also in our agreement to really pick focus areas, double down on this focus area and not do too many things at the same time and then not succeed with any, right? So I think we all learned our lessons, what did not work in corporate innovation sometimes. Focus is key. That's definitely one of the lessons I exactly uh, the hard way. Yeah. No one wants to admit it, but uh, you cannot do everything at the same time. <laughs> Maybe changing perspectives a little bit on, on a more global perspective. What is your view on, let's say, 
the financial ecosystem, and I know that that is always tough, but let's say, let's perceive the, the next 10 years on the European fintech landscapes and the global trends, what will be significant impact for, for your business in the next 10 years? That's, by the way, a very broad question. So I, try it <laughs> I will try to keep it uh, concise. But <laughs> yeah. I think overall, we remain, and otherwise we would also not have done a partnership with you, right? Because the partnership with you is also a follow-up investments uh, included is that we are in general very positive about fintech and obviously right like each area it has its ups and downs but i'm actually very positive right that there will be much more sunshine again also in this in area and if you look at it right you already see that the fintech world has gone through quite a shift right so let's say five five plus years ago it was all about neo banks and this was what was starting there. Some of them succeeded, others didn't succeed. But I think for the upcoming generation, neobanks will be just normal banks again, maybe very cool banks, but they also have come at a state that have become very, very mature, very solid banks with also exciting products. And more recently, you saw already a shift more that fintech was more focusing on B2B or B2B2C. And I think that will remain. There might be still somewhere a niche for a neobank. But I think as we have learned from the B2B and the B2B2C is that it's more scalable, right? And it requires less marketing and less branding. So it's, it's also slightly more efficient, right, to grow there. Now, I think that will still remain very interesting area right and within that i still see a lot of opportunity for instance for things which i always call sexy plumbing right so api gateways networks analytic uh, systems uh, solutions more for kyc aml etc etc i think there's a lot still can be gained uh, for the big banks and the big institutions and although there are a couple of great is there, uh, for instance, we in our portfolio, you have Frenergo with who we work, we have Contexa with who we work, right? But I still also see gaps which can be fulfilled again by, by others. I think what you also see in the same space in the B2B, B2B2C is uh, more embedded banking related services, right? And the embedded banking services are interesting for us, but for instance, also for neo banks, right? I mean, if you already look at uh, Open Invest and the deals they have announced uh, recently uh, with some of the neobanks. Uh, and they not don't only work with neobanks, but also with us. So I think also in this whole notion of embedded banking will also very much continue. Now, if you ask me more going forward, I mean, honestly, that's very hard to say, but uh, let me give you three areas uh, which I think are very important. The first one is or fintechs who will still do, let's say, the sexy plumbing and all kinds of other microservices, but then with more AI inside, right? I think with the current fast-paced AI evolution or revolution, you might even want to call it, I think fintechs who can help banks to have even more personalized, uh, hyper-personalized services, etc., using those type of technologies, I definitely think uh, that's, that's a very interesting uh, area. Uh, I think, secondly, I would just also keep watching the regulations because we, we have seen in the past that new regulations always have opened up the door for new interesting fintechs. And ESD3 is coming, the digital euro, digital identity, also sustainability, also definitely in this class with also the, all the, the more the data regulations related to sustainability. I think that's always an area where I would look for the next thing which can help us and which can help the uh, the industry. 
And the third, and the third one is, I think, harder to nail. But I think there will always be people who will be coming up with companies with the potential of becoming even more disruptive, right? I still think there is a group of people who still believe they can disrupt the industry by a much larger extent. And again, there will be interesting ideas coming out of it. In the end, if they will disrupt or if they just will be applied, I think there the jury is out. If you ask me where to look, might still be blockchain. You never know, right? I mean, there's still quite some money in that uh, subdomain. Uh, but I also think something around more enabling this intermediation at scale still, right? What can help big techs to accelerate further? Right? Often this is big banks, but it can also maybe be with fintechs. Uh, and last, I'm coming back a bit to this hyper-personalization might there be with all the gen ai and other things a revival of pfm right but then a true pfm really your personal assistant to manage your financial affairs and again playing them more the disintermediation game so i think my third degree is more like what could happen but certainly it uh, it will be interesting times uh, going forward interesting that you mentioned pfm there was an article, I think, today or the last couple of days about the graveyard of VCs uh, where PFM was on the top. I'm not sure if you saw that. I didn't see it. I think it's spot on because PFM, indeed, and the article was referring to this, there were a lot of dreams of VCs that we could actually build a proper PFM, right, or invest in a PFM. And I mean, if you think about it, of course, everyone needs to manage their finance and to develop a personal financial management tool. And Mint was one of the first ones. And we had many in Europe was always a the big vision and big ideas and uh, made made kind of sense, but no one really materialized. But I also believe AI will be the game changer to it because AI takes the heavy part away. Yeah, at the end, it's boring. So if you can make it super easy, super simple in a natural language type of format, that might be the game changer, as you say. Exactly. Yep. And hopefully, because I think something like financial education is clearly what we need across the globe, not only seen from a European perspective, but in the European perspective, and something which we see now also coming up is more PFM for the elderly, something yep. we haven't seen before, right? But now, okay, with this demographic setup, uh, we have to face in continental Europe um, and, and elsewhere in the world, the elderly needs to be also treated differently when it comes to financial services, when it comes to protection, yep. fraud prevention. Spot on, right? So in if I take the Netherlands, there was a report that around that are around two to three million people, and we are 17, 18 million people country who cannot keep up anymore with the digital revolution and therefore also find it, for instance, very hard to collaborate with public affairs, but also with, with banks. Right. You can then do two things. You can go back to the old situation, the paper-based situation, or you can say, are there other technologies which are so incredibly accessible? and easier to use and also developed from a perspective that they're truly protecting the client's interests. Yeah. And I think on one hand, we as a bank really want to play that role and or are playing the role. And so we invest a lot in making our products simpler, the communication simpler, but also in coaches so that people actually can learn how to bank digitally. Mm -hmm. I also can imagine that there are other entrepreneurial ways to do this also independent of banks. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but for you must be a great time now with your background as a C-level executive in, in AI and now adapting it within a large organization. So Exciting. <laughs> was it two weeks ago, we actually won a global uh, prize with our Gen AI implementation in our contact center. Yeah. Oh, wow. Really love that. 
Can you share a little bit on, on the successes there? On the... Yeah, sure. Now, we, um, we implemented uh, NAI to help our agents. So I strongly believe currently with the current state is that the way to go with Gen AI is people augmentation. So no matter if it's augmenting, in this case, people in our call centers, or if it's augmenting programmers or people build models, or is it actually a relationship manager or someone in HR who needs to quickly write a job profile, all these forms of augmentation are actually very, very helpful. And uh, they are a bit more in a safer zone. And you can also limit the data you put into the system to make sure that the outcome is sort of in range you want to have uh, the outcomes of produced by the AI machine. We did in our call center, we, we studied actually where our experience actually improved. Now, one of the two things which, which, which we uh, build the system, the first one is, and you can imagine this as well, uh, Ramin, if you call a bank or an insurance company or whoever, you typically start talking, you will change your problem. And at one moment you hear the keyboard of the person on the other side going <laughs> basically stop and you wait because you're polite until the, the person has caught up. And then again, you can continue the story. Now, <laughs> basically that's a, for the client, not super pleasant. Right. But in general, also, it gives the feeling that the agent, although the agents are working very hard for you, is a bit distracted as well because you hear all the typing. Yeah. So the first thing we did was say, say, look, you don't need to type anymore. We will transcribe the full conversation. We will summarize it for you. Nice. The benefit really is that the feedback from our call center is I can finally now spend my full time on just solving the problem of our client. And still, right. they need to look for some of the data, et cetera, et cetera. But that, that, was, that was case number one. Case number two was that in any call center, right, people quite quickly change jobs. So there's always quite a uh, segment of young people, uh, say young in age, but young in tenure of doing the, the, the work, don't always have then the full knowledge of how things operate within the bank. So what we did was we all the knowledge articles which were relevant to answer the questions and uh, we ran through the logic of the embeddings and everything else which is sort of part of the suite and we have created a super fast search engine which already is listening again into the conversations you get the relevant knowledge articles already presented on the screen and then if you have a very specific question and you want to don't want to go through the knowledge articles yourself, you just type in the question, you click on the relevant knowledge article, and the machine will find the answer for you. It also, again, is much better quality because people find the better answer, they find it faster, etc., etc. So, and the interesting thing is, we only had two of my tech people working on this. Nice. We had the first case live in three weeks, approximately. Right, so what you see is, is that this technology is very quick. You can get it quite easily up and running. Then the refinement takes longer, but you can find it in a very collaborative way. We got feedback about, oh, the summaries are too long. Okay, how long should they be? And again, you change the prompt. We discovered that there's some bias also, uh, summaries basically. What happened was if out of the conversation, the machine could not conclude that our client was male or female, the machine just assumed the client was male. So basically, we had a whole brainstorm about how to solve that and how can we correct the machine. And then we just said, why don't we just make a, a button 
a button for the front push on a button instead of the machine. Sometimes so easy, right? <laughs> Just and that's nice when you have the human in the loop, exactly. Yeah. And and this is sort of, but all these small iterations, you you can do them incredibly, incredibly fast on on, on both of the use cases. So then, right, uh, we did this in a way that privacy is guaranteed, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, right, we mask data and these type of things. So also, let's get better data while their privacy is better answers, I should say. And I've seen everything else is is guaranteed. Very interesting. And I think you mentioned one of the disrupting factors, I believe a lot in, and this is low-code, no-code software. I'm not sure you deployed it in that specific use case, but that the people with the actual knowledge can design the program. Is that what every one of us always dreamed of when we were still in the consultant age of our career? where we try to describe the business problem to the product guy, the product guy to the engineer. And the feedback cycles were just way too long, where today you have the direct input and the direct feedback. And and that will, especially for enterprises, get so much incredible value out of these organizations by really using the power and the brains of the people who actually need to do the work. About AI, how are you now looking at the adoption of AI in, in portfolios? I mean, in the motive portfolio, we... We do exactly what you said. We try to have small use cases, small POCs. I mean, some companies obviously very inherited much further. When you say the motive portfolio, obviously also depends what stage these companies are, right? In the more early stage portfolio, we invest in AI native companies. So our most recent term sheet was just in the term sheet we signed was with a company which uses AI to analyze these long, big credit documents, these 450 pages of credit documentations where they're using AI, they're using data models to analyze it. But in the end, they're also using human in the loop because it's not good enough to just use the standard AI, the standard LLMs, as many people know, but many people are also happy with 80% result. But if you analyze a credit document, 80% is not good good enough. enough. And um, we actually looked at this with one of our partners and yeah, when you when you look through the market, a lot of people say they can do something, but can they do it at a certain quality? For this, you really need still, I believe, the human in the loop. You need enough data to process, et cetera, PP. So they're very AI-native companies. And then there are other businesses where I think it's about fast adaption, learning about the tools, training also the people, also asking buy and build, because there's every day a new company involved. It is right? incredible. And we, we have a... A small POC with, you call it augmentation, but uh, there's another word I think many people use it, a co-piloting, right? It's like the standard. There's a co-pilot now for everything. Yep. So we build also a small own POC for co-piloting on investment memos. But honestly, at the same time, we looked at five different co-piloting investment memo startups. Now we're looking in to use one and yep. to adapt it. And, and, and that constant look on the market, buy, build, how to build, how to buy, what to combine is... Yeah, it's a constant ask, constant change to to then ultimately make the companies ready for the next. Yeah, because I think also right from as an investor, it's it's still also a hard problem, right? So if if any startups were just a thin layer, right, on exactly. open AI, so you first have to understand that, and then secondly, they might have a thicker layer. Uh, but you look at the a open AI before the famous weekend, <laughs> uh, things on our roadmap, which we here internally didn't need to build anymore because they were part of the next release. Uh, it's so incredibly fast, right? And also for an investor, right? How do you project what actually the next and the next next releases are of some of these, uh, call them OpenAR or Amazon or or Google, right? So it's, it's, it's very exciting times, but it's also not that easy. It's-
No, it's not that easy. And generally, a lot of money burned. I think our answer a little bit for us, and that's good when you're an industry-specific investor, especially early days, is that we try to invest in vertical competencies. Uh, as the example I just mentioned, credit documents. I mean, long, complex credit document. And that company, by the way, is a company which is already three years old. So they used initial machine learning and I already early on, and now they can leverage the implementation of the new elements. Yeah. But they they benefit from the history of data. But yeah, there is a lot of a lot of adoption to to be needed, and 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 you need teams who are quick and who find the market product fit now. So, Edwin, last but not least, the, the overall question obviously is: we discussed now lengthy the the motive partnerships and the motive venture partnerships a little bit. Um, we spoke about the broader strategic concept, about topics at hand. Obviously, generative AI is one of those. But what would you say? What what does success with Motive look like if we come here to this podcast again in one year, five years, or ten years? How would uh, success look like for you? Two, two views of the of the same success. The first one is if we really build a successful investment portfolio. And obviously, you're there in the lead, right? But if we can contribute by sharing knowledge, testing uh, steps, I, I think, right. So if, if people say, wow, this is a, one of the most impressive fintech portfolios globally, I think that will be definitely part of the success. And then more from our side, if I can truly pinpoint at a couple of new products slash services for our clients, where they really said, this is the reason why I came to ABN AMRO or why I remain to ABN AMRO. They make my life so much easier. They make my life so much better. Investments could be also somewhere else. But I think, right, the combination of the two would be really, really fantastic. That's an amazing answer. And I would have no better way to end this podcast. We will do our best to succeed on both. And thank you very much for joining. Thank you very much for the trust and looking forward to work with no, you. Thank you. It was really a pleasure, as always, actually. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for your time and insights. And thank you very much for tuning in. I'm Sam. See you next time. The information contained in this podcast is intended for discussion purposes only. It is not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation for the purchase or sale of a security or any services of motive partners. All investing involves risk, and there is no guarantee that past performance will be indicative of future results. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are as of the date of recording, reflect the views and opinions of the persons expressing them, and do not necessarily represent the views or opinions of motive partners. Motive partners makes no representations or warranties as to the accuracy, reliability, or completeness of any information provided, and undertakes no obligation to update, amend, or clarify the information in the podcast, whether as a result of new information, future events, or otherwise. Any securities, transactions, or holdings discussed may not represent investments made by motive partners. It should not be assumed that securities, transactions, or holdings discussed, if any, were or will be profitable, or that the recommendations or decisions made in the future will be similar, or will equal the performance of the securities, transactions, or holdings discussed herein. This podcast may contain forward-looking statements that are based on beliefs, assumptions, current expectations, estimates, and predictions about the financial industry the economy, motive partners or motive partners investments. Nothing in the podcast should be construed or relied upon as investment, legal, accounting, tax or other professional advice or in connection with any offer or sale of securities.